0: I want to thank the praise team. Um, and I know we don't mention Autumn and Austin very much, but, uh, you know, we end up in a ditch without those guys. So, and I appreciate my wife, who works hard playing the, practicing the piano during the week, and I, I'm the beneficiary of that. Um, I get to sit on, in the back in of my office, work on my sermon, and listen to her play, so that's a that's a worship-provoking opportunity. Now, we don't have any bulletins, but the title of the sermon is Love and Hate. So I thought I would be a little provocative. I thought uh, some of you might question that. Of course, you go the text. If you're biblically literate, you understand where Jesus is going here. I had a great time preaching last week. I really had fun, you know. Uh, big God stuff gets me jacked up. And uh, as you can tell, I loved pulling that scriptural thread back into eternity past um, in connection with Jesus' command for us to love one another. We talked a lot about it last week. As you know, we're continuing to look at the hallmarks of a healthy church. And there's no question that Jesus' words in John 13 34, and 35 are essential and imperative. That we, to be a healthy church, we have to understand. Those two verses. Or we're not a church at all, basically, according to 1 John. So I'm going to go back, John 13, 34, and 35, read that to you. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So we're commanded to love one another even as Jesus has loved us. Now, immediately we know this is supernatural. Immediately we know we have to default to the Holy Spirit. We can't do this. We can't love like that. Apart from the Holy Spirit, I challenged you last week. Don't tell me you speak in tongues and have the Holy Spirit. Don't tell me that if you don't love the body. This is the bottom line test. Do you have the Holy Spirit? Are you converted? Do you love Christ? Right? I love his people. And I I express that love in the church. I bring my gifts to the church and I express that love in the church. Jesus says, by this this all men will know that you're mine. It's our testimony. It's our evangelism. (laughs) People should know that we're a Christian. Because we love the brethren. And we saw last week, 1 John three fourteen, that loving one another is actually part of our assurance. Let me read it to you, 1 John 3, 14. We know, we know what? That we have passed out of death and into life. A way to say we know that we've been saved. How? How do we know we've been saved? Because we love the body. We love the brethren. Again, 1 John 3, 14. The loving, as I said last week, the loving of one another is no small thing. It's no second-tier command. It needs to be right up front on your radar every day. You're to love this body as Christ has loved you. It's big. It's big. Last week, we pulled that eternal thread on Jesus' command that we should radically love the brethren. And yes, of course, we made the case. I didn't have to make it to you. You already know. Yahweh is the root. He's the source. He's the origin of this commanded love. We noted last week that the Bible teaches us God is love, right? It's who God is. So if we're commanded to love, obviously, we're pulling it down from Him. If we're commanded to love as Jesus loved us, we're going to have to pull it down. We're going to we're have to give sway to the Holy Spirit in our life, or we can never do this. You know, if we're just fleshly, nominal Christians, we have no hope of loving like this, only as we surrender to the Holy Spirit, we saw before the foundation of the world, and Joe referenced it in his prayer, in love God predestined us, Ephesians 1, 4, and 5. Because of his great love, Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, while we were dead, he made us alive. And we saw last week, Ephesians three seventeen, that by the grace of God we are rooted and grounded in sovereign love. This is huge. It's huge. This is why Christians can't, you know. We'll make the point, we'll clarify what Jesus is saying there in Luke. But by comparison, we love Him so much. We've understood how He saved us as rebels. We were rebels. We were reprobates. We were wretched. But He loved us. It's like we talked about last week, you know, that Deuteronomy passage. Why Why did God choose Israel? Why did He choose to love Israel? Because He did. Because He did. If you're a Christian, God has loved you. Why? Because He does. Because He does. Beloved, this is so huge that it's supposed to spill out of our life. This love is supposed to spill out of our life. It's not just just showing up for church on Sunday, saying some nice things, hearing some nice things, and then adjourn for the week. This is our vocation, this is our resume. I love the body. I love my brothers. I love my sisters. It's who I am. It's what I'm supposed to be. At the end of the day, if the origin of this John 13, 34, 35 commanded love is, uh, to one another is an outworking of the essence of God, and it is, it's just the outworking of the essence of God, and I made this statement last week, I just want to make it again because I like it. And I'm the preacher and I get to do it. You may not want to hear it again. But this, this was the impression I got last week, sitting behind my little desk. Loving one another in the body, this command, is as fundamentally essential to Christian theology as the love that flows within the Godhead. Now, I want you to feel the weight of that. You got to love me, man. I know I'm not lovable sometimes. I know. But you got to love me. And I got to love you. And sometimes you're not so lovable, right? But it's, it's really the, my basic job description. If I'm going to be in the church, which every true believer will be, if I'm going to be in a church, it's my job description. I got to love these people. And not only that, i got to love them like Jesus loves them. How's that? i got to have the Holy Spirit help me with that. You try to do it in your own flesh, you'll burn out. You'll burn out pretty quickly. This command to love one another flows out of who God is, and our response to this command, we've already seen it in in Scripture, our response to this command reveals whether we're a Christian or not. Now, if, if... if we're nonchalant with this type of command of God, if, if it really doesn't drive us or change the way we function, we've got a huge problem. we got a huge problem before God. So there could not be more at stake in us understanding what Jesus is commanding us to do. And I told you last week I'd need two sermons to get to John 13, 35. Last week, we pulled that thread back into eternity. And and, I just want to say, well, why do we need to connect those dots again? Because you and I need to understand this is a momentous kind of thing that we love even as Christ has loved us. God means for us to feel the force and the weight of it. And I think all too often, it's like so many things in the Bible. We go, wow, we walk away. And we just, it's gone. We forget. You know, that we should paint this on, on our ceilings, right? I got to love Joe, man. You know, I got to. I got to. I got to love Carrie. In Alberta. This week. What that lo- whatever that looks like. As I encounter them in the church. I pray that we're making this connection I pray that we never forget it. I pray that we see this this command to love one another as actually redemptive and providential, the the, the redemptive and providential extension of the fact that God is love. It's just God is love. You better love the body. It's just like one thing. God is love, and you better love the body if you call yourself a Christian. The Bible is clear. If we don't love the body, we have no claim. Christianity at all. We saw last week, and maybe it was a little bit of a sidebar, but God is uppermost in the heart and mind of God. God loves God supremely. The love that flows within the Godhead is perfect. It is infinite. The, 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 The byproduct of that is we clearly understand it's not about Jim. The universe is not about Jim. The cross is not principally about Jim. It's about the glory of God. And so we gather here because we love the glory of God. God has enabled his people to love the glory of God preeminently. We love the glory of God more than anything else. It's why we went to Luke 14. You got to hate your family. What is he saying? He's saying, You've got to love me so much that by comparison, it's a Hebraism, it's a semantic saying, it's a figure. Of speech, and we'll get to that in just a minute. We saw that God loves His glory. Everything is about the glory of God. Why anything? Why everything? We've talked about it a lot. God is doing all He's doing to the praise of the glory of His grace. Ephesians 1 6. How is God's judgment upon the vessels of wrath appraised to the glory of His grace? We see it in Romans 9, 22, 23. You don't have to go back there. I so often land there. Why is God doing all that He's doing? Because God is willing to demonstrate His wrath in the vessels of wrath in order that the vessels of mercy will know the riches of His glory. We know we should be in hell. If we're biblically literate and we have any self-awareness. We know we should be there. We should have been there yesterday. But we're not there. Why? Because of the grace of God. Right? We're not only going to not go to hell, we're going to come and live in the presence of Yahweh for a billion eternities. And we're going to be gobsmacked. I haven't used that word in a while. Hope you remember what it means. Gob. G-O-B. Gob. Smacked. It's a British term. It means astonished, utterly astonished at the beauty and the glory of our God in in whom present we will be forever. God loves His glory, and in loving His glory... He has enabled the redeemed to see it, to love it, to feel it, to ultimately taste it. You know, C.S. Lewis makes that that, that comparison of being enveloped in the beauty and glory of God. We'll somehow we'll be enveloped in the, this, this beauty and this glory. You know how Jesus prayed, John 17, mentioned it last week. He prays to the Father in the glory which you have given me, I have given to them. I don't comment on that verse. I don't really know what it means. I don't want to backhandedly blaspheme God, but it's right there in the text. This glory He's purchased for us. Of course I'm going to love Him supremely. How could I not love Him supremely? There's no reason that I wouldn't love Him supremely. He's loved me in such a sacrificial way. You know, people who say they're Christians and they they, they, they say, yeah, Jesus died for my sins. And it doesn't move their heart and their soul and their mind and their body. Right? Well, this it's just demonic. It's deception. If you hadn't thought deeply about the cross in a while, it might be helpful to do that. So it's clear... Uh, that there's at least one more thing we need to talk about before we get back to John 13:34 and 35 that we 're to love one another even as He has loved us. So the next step in the progression here of truly understanding and obeying that command, it has to be the greatest commandment. So what is the greatest commandment? I know most of you know. What is the greatest commandment? that 's right, Francis. The scribe asking, what is the foremost commandment? And Jesus didn't hesitate that you would what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. That's a big, big commandment for us. Without question, we need to talk about this. We need to talk about, we need to talk about, um, about this How Jesus has pointed us at God as we did last week in our sermon. He points us right back to Yahweh. And if God has loved us, how are we to love Him? With everything we have. We're back to Luke 14. With everything we have. And by comparison, some would call it hate. That's what Jesus is saying. Does anybody parenthetically remember the second command? The second greatest command, that you would love your neighbor as yourself. That was Old Testament law, Leviticus 19. But Jesus says, oh, I'm giving you a new one. This is a new one. This is not the old one. It's not about loving your neighbor as as yourself. It's It's about loving the ecclesia. It's about loving the called out ones, even as I have loved you. It is a brand new kind of thing. And beloved, what I'm trying to do with these two sermons, these two introductory sermons, is I want you to feel the weight of it. I want you to feel the weight of what you're called to. Again, it's not merely church membership. Church membership's good. It's not merely baptism. Baptism's good. It's not merely making a profession of faith and praying a prayer. That's all good. But what Jesus is talking about in Luke 14 is the bottom line of everything. Do you really love me? And does your life exhibit the fact that you love me? Because that's what happens in the born-again soul. There's nowhere to stop except absolute abandoned love. There's no middle place to be. It's absolute abandoned love for God. And we'll get to Luke 14 in a minute. We'll talk a little bit more about it. We understand if God hasn't removed that stone, that heart of stone and given us a heart of flesh, we have no hope. This is miraculous. This is supernatural. Jesus says, yes, this is a new commandment to all who are the adopted children of God love one another even as I have loved you and it's way bigger than love your neighbor as yourself. I'll close the parentheses on that. So last week we looked at the origin of all this love. It's Yahweh. If you missed last week's sermon I invite you to download it. I I think it was pretty good. I don't know. I was convicted. That's usually a pretty good sign. I was weeping, I've got work to do, but when we consider how we've been loved, it's only natural that God would command us to let that love flow. It's just logical and rational. So this week, I want to talk about the effect of God's love in His people's lives. We talked about a lot of big theology last week, and let me just review it real quick. We understand that something miraculous has happened. You know, I don't know how you were converted, but I, it didn't take me very long to figure out something happened. That I didn't gin up. Something happened. God has told us, and we believe it, that before the foundation of the world, he, in love He predestined us, Ephesians 1, 4, and 5. God has told us, and we believe it, that it is His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, made us alive together with, with Christ, Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. God has told us, and we believe it, that we are rooted and grounded in sovereign love, Ephesians 3, 17. God has told us, and we believe it, that... His love for us is manifested in us through the sacrifice of His Son, 1 John 4, 10. So we got all this big theology, and we're in awe. Man, if you start believing everything the Bible says, like Piper says, it'll blow your mind. And we're in awe of this. No one's ever loved me like this. No one will ever love you like this. No one loves like God. And then my Christianity is just some peripheral issue Monday morning? I don't think so. It's never peripheral, it's always front and center. That's what it means for Him to be what? Not just Savior, but what? Lord. You meet a lot of folks, you know, a thousand people came through Milan. You meet a lot of folks. Jesus is my Savior, but let me ask you the question Is He your Lord? Is He your Lord? Does your life exhibit the fact that He's your Lord? It's kind of the bottom line that Jesus is getting to in Luke 14. You've got to love 1 John four 19. Don't turn there. Why do we love? So you know. Why do we love? Bam! You get a Twinkie. Why do we love at all? Because He loved us. We wouldn't even know how to, right? We're all rebels and God-haters. As Romans 1 tells us. He's come into our life. And you guys know 2 Corinthians five seventeen. I believe it is. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Whatever it was I loved supremely before, It's it's second or third or fourth. Now I love Christ preeminently. I love Him preeminently. Consequently, we understand Jesus' words here in Luke 14, 26, 27, and 33. We don't stumble over these radical statements. We intuitively understand uh, where the sovereign love of God will take us. We comprehend this is the unavoidable fruit of being born again. Jesus has become our supreme love, our supreme delight, our supreme pleasure. He has all of our heart. And whatever it looks like in giving ourselves away with Him, we're okay with that. Whatever it looks like, we're okay with that. We are okay with it. Look at verse 25. You heard Joe read it. I love this. Karen and I had a little discussion about it the other day. I really liked it. We have a discussion at lunch. Luke twenty, Luke fourteen twenty five. Did you notice now? Great multitudes. Okay, we got plural multitudes here. We're going along with him, and he turned and he said to these great plural multitudes, "You gotta hate your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters. Yes, even your own life, or you cannot be my disciple." It's like what? What kind of evangelism is that? You know, you'd get an F in seminary if that was your lead. You'd get an F. You would flunk evangelism. Oh, what they taught me in seminary on evangelism. Oh, Mamma Mia. You know, appeal to the flesh, appeal to the flesh, appeal to the flesh. And this is what Jesus never did. He never appeals to the flesh, never appeals the flesh. You would expect Jesus to say, well, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Oh, no. (laughs) You gotta hate your family. You gotta hate your life. You gotta pick up your cross. You gotta hate all your possessions and be willing to lay them down. As you get over to verse, I think it's 33. Yeah. Verse 33. Verse 33. Jesus is telling us what it looks like to genuinely be a disciple. Now, he uses this word. What does this word mean? Does this mean some higher, does this mean like, 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 like some higher level of Christian? No, it means Christian. It's synonymous with Christian. We're not talking about some lower level of Christian and some higher level of Christian. That's not what this means. The disciple means a follower. Disciple means a born-again Christian. There's no such thing as the higher level and the lower level. He says, "This is how it is for those who know me. This is how it is. This is what it looks like. I've always like to say it like this: you, have, you don't have to become a disciple to be saved. I tell people this. You don't have to become a disciple to be saved. Why do you have to become a disciple? Because you are. If you're saved, you will be one. Imperfectly, of course. You will be one. You'll be a disciple. He, you love Him. Everything else is two. I love Him. There is no two-tiered system in Christianity. Verse 26... If anyone wishes to come after me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Look at verse 27. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Let's go ahead and look at verse 33 that I referenced earlier. So therefore, no one one can be my disciple who does not give up all of his own possessions. I don't know what denomination you grew up in, but I'm pretty sure probably none of this came up when you were talking about being baptized. What is Jesus saying to us? Can I just say this? If you know him personally, you know exactly what he's talking about. You know exactly what he's talking about. I don't need to explain it. You know, there's some things things you simply can't explain to an unbeliever. You can't explain it to them. They can't hear it. They don't have the eyes to hear it. We'll clarify the crystal clear meaning of Jesus' words in just a moment, if you don't understand. But first, why is Jesus saying these really hard things to these plural multitudes? right? We're back to God as love. We're back before the foundation of the world. We're back to the fact that God's great love with which he loved us, Ephesians 2, 4. We're back there. You say, Jim, what do you mean we're back there? Because all of this theology always undergirds everything Christ does. He's not appealing to the flesh. And I would say that any preacher who stands in a pulpit and appeals to the flesh, he's got a long day coming on the last day. It's not my job to appeal to your flesh and make you want Jesus in a fleshly way. It's my job to hold him up so high that you run to him. That's my job. I'm not trying to convince you to like Christ. I'm trying to convince you to hate your sin. And understand what your destination is apart from what he's done. That's my job, you know. And I know a lot of people don't like that kind of preaching. I get it. But listen, you don't come to grace if you just want your feelings to be assuaged, and you, don't, you And you want to be petted and you want to be tickled. I, I, now, I'm never going to do it. Not from here. Jesus has got plural multitudes. And he turns around and he says, you've got to hate everybody. <laughs> He's the master evangelist. What's he doing? He's not interested in superficial followers. He's not. Just read your Bible. He never appeals to the flesh. John 16 came to my mind. As I thought about this, pardon me, John 6, you guys know he just fed the 5,000 and the people really liked it, man. They liked that free food. It was good food, good bread. But he started to, to talk to them and they grumbled, right? Why was Jesus saying disagreeable things to the plural multitudes? Because he understood that salvation is a sovereign miracle of God. He doesn't have to appeal to your flesh. He doesn't have to make you feel good about yourself. Man, if you get a glimpse of Christ, you'll come running. And He knows how that happens. I'll read you the text here. In just a minute, he didn't use psychological or emotional or rhetorical gimmicks to get someone to emotionally make a decision. It's why we, we don't really do emotional uh, uh, invitations down here. Now, I know that offends a lot of Southern Baptists, but we don't do it. We, we're, we're, we fear for false. Confessions. We fear that. I was a false confession. I I lived that in the church. I have a lot of scar tissue, so I'm never going to stand down here and try to appeal to your emotion and psychologically manipulate you to come to Christ. Listen, if the Holy Spirit's at work, you're going to come. You're going to come. As Jim Elliff used to say, if I had a machine gun down here, you'd still come. You can't stop a true believer. You can't stop a true believer. Listen to Jesus' words. You know, they were grumbling and, you know. This is out of John 6, 43 to 45. Jesus said to them, Do not grumble. No one can come to me unless what? The Father draws him. Jesus knows this. You're supposed to know this. We sow the good seed we just keep sowing the good seed. We've been, we've had this relationship for 40 years, and they won't believe, but I'm just gonna keep sowing the seed. And let God do what God does. God's the only one that can draw, right? Jesus continues. Everyone who's heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Have they heard from the Father? Have they been drawn? I can't save anybody. That's the reason I love being a pastor. I can't save anybody. <laughs> I can't lift that weight. I just get to sow seed, right? Jesus continues, it's the Spirit who does it. This is all out of John 6. You can go look it up. The Spirit does this. He does this. Jim doesn't do it. The preacher doesn't do it. The elder doesn't do it. The deacon doesn't do it. You can't do it. The Spirit does this. And Jesus knew, listen to this, He knew from the beginning who would not believe. This is all John 6, 43 to 45. He knew from the beginning who would believe. And obviously, plural multitudes would not believe, even though they ate the bread. And then he finally finishes up there in John 6. No one can come to me unless it's granted from the Father. Jesus never appeals to the flesh. He knows this is all supernatural. And anybody who preaches a non-supernatural faith to you, you need to run. Because they don't know what they're talking about. Or they're trying to sell you something, right? They're trying to sell you something. So we're always back to before the foundation of the world. Why does this matter? Because you and I are supposed to feel the weight of it. And if you don't feel the weight of it, um, you got work to do. Got work to do. Because all of this radical love is flowing to the elect from the Father, uh, and it creates and feeds our radical love for Him. So I'm trying to connect last week to this week. This radical love from the Father, it feeds and creates this radical love we have for Him. It's what Jesus is saying in Luke 14. If you don't hate your whole family, you can't be my disciple. He's simply saying, you love me supremely. It's a Hebraism. It's a Semitic statement. It's an expression. It's an expression of preference. Of course, we're called to love our family. Of course, we love our family. But we love Christ more. And if our family walks away, they walk away. If they walk away, they walk away. I'll never walk away from Christ. If you're born again, He's all that ultimately matters. You know, Jesus talks in John 15 about the the world hating us, and some of you experience this. Someone in your family gets converted, you get converted, and and people start to peel off. And finally, ultimately, your spouse and children can peel off. You say, well, this is hard. Yeah, it's hard, but I love Christ. I love Christ. And of course God can heal the family if, if everybody's in submission to Him. But if you have the rebel in there, they'll stir it up. They don't don't want that conviction. They don't want to see the light of God coming off of you and in your life. They don't want to hear your words that you share from Scripture. Mark 10, you can turn with me if you'd like, Mark 10. It kind of clarifies and amplifies what Jesus is saying. Mark 10, 34 and 35. Jesus says, do not think I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Some of you have experienced this. It's almost inevitable when there's a born again soul amongst those who are not. There will be tension. There will be conflict. There will be discord. And there might be a breakup. Why will man's enemies be the members of his own household? Because we're gone. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. We're different. Some folks don't like it. Look at look at Matthew 10:37. He who loves father this clarifies Luke 14. He who loves father and mother what? More. It's what he's talking about in Luke 14. You love them more. You love Christ more. It's not that I don't love my family. Of course I love my family. I'm I'm commanded to love my family, support my family, take care of my family. Of course all of that is true. But I love him more. I love him in a way that I don't love them. And it's no discount to them. It's just that I can't help it. The Holy Spirit has made me alive to who I was and who I am now. And man, I love this God who's loved me like that. Right? I love this God... Who's loved me like that? Yeah, I love my family. But it's not like this. It's not like this. So that clarifies some of the language. While most, or shall I say, while many church members never loved Jesus like this, real Christians do. And I'm just saying to you, from my experience, 18 years in Milan, a thousand people coming through, And you get this whole superficial thing going on. It's always negotiable. Christ and, you know, Sunday's negotiable. It's all negotiable. If I got something better to do... So obviously my goal this morning was not to fully exposit Luke 14 or Matthew 10. My goal has been to try to continue to pull the thread of love that flows from God in eternity. He loved us. And to extend that thread uh, to us in time and the salvation of our souls through the finished work of Jesus. He saved us. He loved us. He saved us. I love him. This is the thread. And now, if we got that right, if we do love him, oh, guess what? I can love the brethren. <laughs> Because he feeds, he feeds that the ability to do that. That, that as I feast on Him, it, 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 it empowers me and enables me and it gives me what I need to... You know, the overflow. It's this overflow of, of being in relationship with Christ. And it, and it spills out on people. Of course, none of us do it perfectly. He loved us. He saved us. We love him, of course, we really do love Him more than family, Luke 14 26. We really do love Him more than our lives uh, as they were prior to Christ, Luke 14 26. We really love Him so much we understand about picking up the cross, Luke 14 27. And of course we love Him more than all of our money and possessions, Luke 14 We love Him absolutely, completely, wholly, fully, without qualification. There is no qualification here. If we read our Bibles with only average comprehension skills, we see this kind of supreme love of God spilling out of the lives of His people. If you're biblically literate, you see it all over the pages of Scripture. It's everywhere. You can't miss it. Biblical faith is not merely believing the right things about God. Biblical faith is ultimately, and you know this, it's about knowing, trusting, and loving Yahweh. It's those things. A kind of knowing and trusting and loving that throws all caution to the wind. It's that kind of knowing and trusting and loving. It's the greatest commandment. I do, in fact, love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength as best I can. And yes, I I fail miserably at times. Yes, I must confess my sin. He's faithful and just to forgive me of my weakness. Is it all over the pages of Scripture? Yeah. Abraham loved his son. He loved God more. He took Isaac to the mountain to sacrifice him. David valued his life, but he valued God's honor more, and he stepped in front of a giant. And I always loved this about Mary and Joseph. You know, you don't hear this in the Christmas story very often, but I've always loved this. Mary and Joseph had a ton of issues that they had to confront here and they were greatly troubled. I think it says Mary was greatly troubled, but they trusted and loved God in their obedience. Right? Let it be done unto me as you said. Can you imagine all the possible complications here? I always love that. I love that about Mary and Joseph. I don't know that it's brought out very often. Peter left his business. Matthew left his career. Paul left his religion. This is not obligatory duty this is I know, I trust, and I love my Creator and my Redeemer, God. Christianity is always Matthew 13, 44. You know, the guy that found the, the treasure in the field, and from joy, he sold all that he's had that he might possess. The treasure, of course, Christ is the treasure, but he did it from joy. And you remember how Mary Bethany expressed her love to Jesus. One of my favorite passages in the Bible, Mark 14. She broke the vial of costly perfume, probably Minimum wage, our context, 30 grand. Poured it on his head, anointed his feet, and was wiping his feet with her hair. And you remember, some people were protesting. The unbelievers were protesting. Judas was protesting. And Jesus says, Leave her alone. She's mine. And nobody forgets this. Nobody forgets how she loved me. Listen, beloved. Listen, there's something big about this, right? The the way we're loving Christ in the body. Because when we love the body, we're loving Christ. And this is a big deal. It's a really big deal. Jesus says nobody will ever forget this. You remember how Paul talked about it? I'm done. Philippians 3, 7, and 8. You don't need to turn there. But whatever... Things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. It's Luke 14. Last week we pulled the thread all the way back. God is love before the foundation of the world. In love he predestined us. And out of His great love with which He loved us, He manifested that love through the atoning work of His Son and the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. He has justified us and made us alive together with Christ. This week, in the face of this sovereign, omnipotent, invisible love, His people can't help but abandon themselves to loving Him with all of their lives. And it's what what He's calling us to, beloved. He's not calling us to church attendance. Church attendance is good you should come to church you claim to be a Christian you ought to be here every week barring some other obligation that you cannot avoid we abandon ourselves we abandon ourselves to Christ in this love he's commanded for us to express we don't have any problem with Luke 14, 26, Luke 14, 27, Luke 14, We understand about our families. We understand about our lives. We understand about our professions. It doesn't matter to us. Ultimately, yeah, we might have to work through a few things. We might have to pray through a few things. Hey, I have to do it all the time. Right? We're not automatically there. We've, got, we've all got work to do. Now, if you're all, if you're all the way there, you come talk to me because... I don't think I can hang out with you if you think you're already there. We love everyone and everything in the context of how we love Jesus. Next week, with these two introductory sermons out of the way, we will look at Jesus' words and command in John 13, 34. 4 and 35. I'm going to read it to you and we're done. So you can be praying about it this week. You can be praying that God will help me do a credible job with this text next week. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you. We've been talking about how He's loved us. That's why we did it. It's how He's loved us. Okay? That you also love one another, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Beloved, this is, a, this is an important word from the, from, the, from the word of God. I pray that we can all hear it. I pray that we will all respond to it. I pray that we will love one another. We'll talk more about it. Next week, let's pray together.